Greetings, Poe fans. Welcome to another edition of Poe Unplugged. I am Carmen Bolden. And I am Jeannie Smith. And we are the Potastic Two. Come Zoom with us into the Unbook Club dedicated to the works of Mr. Edgar Allan Poe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to our edition of Poe Unplugged, The Raven. And Jeannie's going to kind of get us started with introductions. Hey, welcome everyone. And this is just going to be basically informal because, well, some of the people here know each other and have been here more than once, but we do have our special guest tonight with Jason Markiewicz, who's going to be sharing his love of uh, Poe and how he has brought it into the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Uh, So (laughs) I'm going to start off. Of course, you know, Carmen, there's me and we are Poe fanatics, if you haven't figured that out by now. (laughs) I know Micah usually makes it in chat, but he's coming from, uh, yep, it's so good to see everyone. He's coming yes. from California. He is a magician that loves Poe. Yes. So, Holly, you can go from there, and then we'll go keep going down until everybody introduces themselves, and then we'll get started. Yep. Hey, hi, guys. Uh, Holly, Michelle, do the kids' book, Poe Reimagined. Love Poe, obviously. <laughs> yes. Okay, Keith. Well, unless your audio is not working. Yeah. Oh, Keith Thomas here. Um, big Poe fan from Roanoke, Virginia. Um, I think I started out with Jeannie and Carmen when it was just the three of us, and I'm glad it's growing like it is. Yes. And I, I can say that was the one positive thing I can say about Facebook is I came across this. <laughs> I'm happy that I have. And we're very, we're, we're happy you're with us. Thank so. you. Thank you very much. Okay. And then Crystal. Hey everybody. I'm also a Poe fan and uh, I found this actually through my sister, Holly. And uh, <laughs> excuse me in the bed. It's my cat time too. Fun fact. I got six cats on me. Oh, and none of them are black. None of them are black. One's partly black. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Cats are all welcome here. We have our cats. You'll probably see mine giving you the butt sometime during the during the. <laughs> yes. Who knows? All right, uh, Virginia? Virginia. Yes. Oh, is it my turn? Yes. Oh, okay. Hi, I'm Virginia Poe. I'm actually uh, one half of uh, the podcast Beyond the Oblong Box. Um, I was trying to see if Levi could join us tonight too, because he, yeah. he had some other stuff to do you know life um but yes obviously I also how funny I love Poe um (laughs) (laughs) literally um and uh yeah and I also have cats who um do also interrupt us during our podcasts from time to time which is hilarious but uh you know Poe cats it all goes together it does and uh Virginia's uh, podcast is fantastic so please check oh, it out you, oh yes. I love it I love it I haven't listened to the new episode um but I've all I, there's I haven't um done hot frog yet but I'm saving it so oh <laughs> oh thing yes. yeah and like I said in the chat happy belated 214th birthday to yes oh, absolutely yeah, uh, Carmen and I, along with Jason, did our first Facebook Live podcast on Thursday mm-hmm. with a celebration to Poe's birthday. Yes. So, it, it, and was, it was fun. It was a good yeah, toast was, at the end, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It yes. was. It was a great toast, and it was good Good drinks all the way. Uh, Carmen's husband loves to play bartender, so yes. we all, <laughs> we're always up for that one. Yes, and Micah said, thanks to Facebook, I can finally watch the Poe Toaster. Yes, that's awesome. That is so cool. Right. All right. So Jason Markiewicz is our honored guest tonight for Poe Unplugged. So Jason, if you'll introduce yourself and if you want to kind of start uh, our talk on the Raven, we kind of started, we uh, decided to talk about horror elements, but I know Jeannie and I talked about it more on the psychological level and things like that. So Jason, if you want to kind of take it and we'll roll with it from there. 
Sure. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me again. I really enjoyed our time on Thursday and, and thank you for inviting me back. Um, so I do audio drama production and voice acting as well as theater acting and, and things as a, a hobby, uh, but have been a large and, and longtime fan of Edgar Allan Poe. So I started writing the script for The Raven back in 2011 when I was uh, stationed in Las Vegas. And, and I just had an idea of how can I bring The Raven to more modern times. Uh, a lot of difficulties in reading old literature sometimes is not understanding the terminologies or not understanding the words or the language that's being mm -hmm. used. And being able to bring some of that forward into uh, more modern language and dialogue, but also some of the way that things are described to keep and that one of the difficulties I had with the Raven was keeping the meter. So if you mm -hmm. if you change a description, don't change the meter, make sure that it flows the way that it should make sure that all of the baseline elements are the same, make sure that the context is all the same, uh, but that the listener can understand what's happening without needing a dictionary next to them. And that was important, especially in the Raven, because there are a lot of references and terminologies that that are old and and not something that is taught nowadays and you have to have an extraordinary vocabulary sometimes to to go through it and be able to really follow along with everything i really love the original writing and i didn't want to mess with it i didn't want to destroy the context or or change anything about it but i wanted to bring it a little bit updated so that it could still be enjoyed um, by by today's audience um, i had the honor of having my daughter voice the character of lenore in this uh, production and it's only a, a very small part but i wanted to make sure to create uh, multiple characters uh, so i created a, a disembodied voice narrator you have the raven as an individual character you have the forlorn gentleman as i call him as a character and then you have the echoed voice of lenore and amongst all of them then you have all the atmospherics and the sounds that go with it and it was a, a, a treat to produce that, that is really amazing. And I know when we did our live event on Poe's birthday, Jason really got to talking about how he comes up with the sounds for <laughs> his productions. It would We could do a whole, I think, podcast just on how you come up with the sounds. And uh, it was just amazing just to hear some of the things that he does for this. And yeah, so I will, I will give you a spoiler real quick. When you hear the fireplace in the background, uh -huh. uh, my two sons created the fireplace. And so I had a, a 12 year old at that time who was wrinkling a plastic bag. And then I had my six year or uh, eight year old at that time that was using bubble wrap and popping the bubble wrap to make the the pops in the fireplace. Oh, so when you hear the fireplace going awesome. on, it's plastic bag and bubble wrap and that's the fireplace. Oh, that is very cool. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think since Jason has given us such a great introduction into his version of The Raven, why don't we go ahead and play the extended trailer so everybody can see that, and then we can kind of go into our discussion. Great. So let's move over there. It would help if everybody muted also oh, uh, yes. so that you don't get the, the reverb. Yeah. I'll wait just a second. How do I do that? Oh, uh, let's see. Okay. Oh, here we go. Upon a midnight dreary, while he pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While he nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at his chamber door. Who's there? Tis some visitor. Tapping on my chamber door. Yes, 
Only this, and nothing more. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here he flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, from outside flew a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not a single bow or curtsy made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but, as if a noble lord or lady, perched above the chamber door. Well, be that our sign of parting, bird or fiend of manner upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above the chamber door. And its eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er the raven, streaming, throws its shadows on the floor. And his soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted. Nevermore, nevermore. was awesome cool thank you for the nice comments in chat too appreciate it yes yeah that that was amazing <laughs> it it was um and again love all of the sounds and everything yeah great voice i mean your talking voice is nice but i mean your acting voice is very nice <laughs> yeah thank you yeah, I, and that's <clears throat> i i know what you're saying because uh that was one of the hardest part about getting into audiobook narration is they say no one ever likes their voice. And I was like, yeah, but I really, really don't like my voice. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was a matter of really trying to figure out how to, how to bring, bring out a little bit more of the resonance outside of the normal talking voice. And that's challenging, but uh, it definitely, I think, comes across better on the, the vocal side of it. Yes. Well, and um, talking about like kind of moving into our discussion about the Raven and just some of the elements of supernatural, psychological, the you know, a little bit of a horror element. When every when you guys have like read this for the first time, especially if you were younger, did you have a feeling of horror or suspense? Like, what was your kind of pivotal moment? Um, the one thing, Jeannie and I were talking about this, the one thing that I've always kind of thought, and I've talked to different people, and it, everyone has kind of a different perspective at the end. And when talking about the, the shadow, you know, leaving, you know, on, at the end, I've always taken that as he died that he, that's just yeah. how I've always thought about that. And just, you know, what, but what, I mean, you can speak to what I'm saying, but also just what is um, your perspective of like, what was the most suspenseful part of this poem? Well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and start. I mean, I, yeah. I think you're right in the original writing. It, it really, I took it that way also because the soul would not lift from the shadows. And so the right. shadows yeah. stayed yeah. there and, and essentially that, that stopped, you know, the, the life. Mm -hmm. That was also the way I, I took it when I wrote the introduction that is uh, prior to the story of, of the Raven that you have on the CD and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of talking about 
what is the symbology of the raven and looking at different um uh, different nationalities different uh time periods you know who saw the raven as what and what was it doing was it uh, escorting him to the afterlife was it uh, trying to, uh, you know, allow a, a gateway for Lenore to greet him. I mean, there was mm-hmm. all kinds of different symbolism that could come into it. I think you're absolutely right for the end of it, but you also notice at the end of mine, he's still alive and the Raven actually leaves. Yes. You know, yes. and so it's just a little bit of a, of a, of a change to it to make it not a, a story of his death, but more of a story of longing and, and, uh, and difficulties with, with the passing of, of his wife. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a great way to do it. And I know Jeannie brought up the aspect of grief um, when we were talking about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Can you, un- you want me to unmute you? I got it. There you I go. Just couldn't get my, I just couldn't get my mouse to move, right? That's okay. But, you know, the thing of it is, is that well, in my perspective and everything, there's always more than one type of death. You know, it's not physical death. Like with Jason, you said that yours, his was still alive. Well, in the reading, you know, we all can interpret because of Poe's great storytelling. He always leaves the reader the time and the understanding to put their own perspective into the story. So, I see it both as it could be a physical death to where he's finally, you know, his soul is, you know, parting to go join Lenore, but also as with anyone that has felt tremendous tragedy and grief, sometimes we, we die emotionally Mm -hmm. and we have a mental, a mental issue that we have to overcome from the grief and it changes the whole persona of who we are. Yeah. whole identity can change uh and i'm speaking from personal experience because it was a you know it can be a total identity crisis when you lose someone who is that much enmeshed into your life yes one of the reasons with poe is you could get that from his reading and he brought the readers into that no matter what but he didn't bash them to death with how he felt to how they should feel. It was always about himself and then what the reader can impart in the story. So mm-hmm. that is my interpretation. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and guys, feel free to jump in at any time to comment. <laughs> sure. Um, so I can say that I had, like, obviously, I've been reading Poe. I mean, I discovered him on my own in the fourth grade. I had read tons of stuff. My freshman year of high school, though, I lost my very first and one of my closest friends. Um, he, he unfortunately died. Um, and it was a very tragic death. Um, it didn't need to happen, and it did. Um, and it really, really changed me. And it changed a lot of my friends that were, you know, in that circle with him. And what always gave me comfort, of course, was reading. And what did I love to read? Of course, I loved reading Edgar. And I remember after we got home from the funeral, I just kind of went into my room, grabbed a bunch of books, sat down on my bed, and I started reading. And the first thing I picked up was a collection of poetry. And of course, The Raven was in there. And I read that. And for whatever reason... It was like, I just all of the sudden, like I realized I had changed. And at the end, it was like, as I was leaving the funeral home, as we're walking away from, you know, the casket, I was just like, I'm a part of me is now gone and it's now going through the store. And so of course, mm-hmm. I'm, as I'm reading that poem, like I was like, huh, okay. I get it. Like, and, and for some reason in my brain, it just clicked in me that I, that a part of me was dead. I wasn't dead, but a part of me was dead mm-hmm. because this person is now gone. And just like, you know, our, our narrative, you know, our, the Lenore, you know, she is gone. He is 
And I always thought that he had died at the end of the poem because of the shadows. Mm-hmm. But of course, it could also be a part of his soul, part of yes. his spirit. And that's how I felt you know, when I was reading it. And it just, it did. It brought me comfort. And I was like, wow, okay. You got me. <gasps> Absolutely. I can fully understand that, Virginia. Yes. Yeah, a part of me lost when my dad died and it's uh, never coming back. So totally yep. understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I actually think think too, like the book, like so I'm really literal sometimes. And since it's in the story is in first person, I never took it that he died. Um, because again, I'm like being real literal. But like at the end, I took it as like soul death because the Raven actually he's like keeps saying, like, Am I gonna see Lenore again? You know, he's coming from the Plutonian Plutonian shore from the afterworld. So is there a chance? that I'm actually going to be reunited with my love, with this this person that I want to be with. And mm-hmm. he says, no. So he has no hope. So there's no point for his soul to live on without ever seeing Lenore. Sure. So about Lenore, what, there is no point to living or going to the next, you know, whatever is next mm-hmm. for him. So to me, I always took it as he, he, his soul dies that day, but his body lives on empty, lonely, and miserable. That that's a unique yep. perspective, definitely. Yeah. 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 And interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, that was very good about putting religion into his work. Yes. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yep. The best thing about it is it's both sides of the religion, whether mm-hmm. you're religious or you aren't religious, because he loves bringing in mythology, the Christianity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pagan, all those different aspects. He is uh, a virtuoso yep. of religion. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yep. I, I really felt like too, you know, the, the lost Lenore, I mean, I, I've, I've seen different perspectives, different, you know, articles written about the Raven and things that the lost Lenore is definitely, um, you know, his, his wife. And then it's like, is the Raven, his wife come back? You know, who, who did he really write this for? But then when you think about the time frame of when he wrote this, you know, is right at the end of his life. I, I, I almost feel like this was every person that he had lost in his life, his mother, his, yep. you know, father, his, um, you know, uh, his foster mother and, you know, and everyone. And it's like, it's all rolled into one. And I felt like it, you know, his entire soul was put into this particular work, even more than some of the other ones. That's just my, my, my thinking. I think some of the, the, uh, analysis of the story kind of talks about how, you know, a lot of the women that he lost over the course of his life are all kind of rolled into the character of, Mm -hmm. you know, as kind of a, an embodiment Mm -hmm. of all the women he'd lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I kind of agree with that. Um, I do agree. Sorry. Carmen, with what you were saying, Uh the first time I was assigned the Raven, of course, was in high school. And we wanted to thank my freshman English teacher who, turned me on to Poe and kept me there. And um, the first time I read it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of creepy. And then I just thought, I didn't think he died. I thought he just lost his mind. Then I got the history po- about Poe and realized that he had written it close to the end of his life and um, and then went back and reread it. And I've reread it a number of times since then. I always get something new out of it. Kind of like Jeannie was saying, like, you know, death in two different planes. Mm-hmm. And I the last time I read it, I it clicked with me like this is every loss he's had in his life wrapped up in this poem. It's like he's getting all this anguish out that he wants to express and put it on paper. It's it's like the that it it's um it's like he really doesn't have a therapist to go to, so he just pours it all out on the paper to get it out of his system. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. kind of like he keeping does. a journal. Yep. Yeah, because back in those days, therapy was not really offered. <laughs> Most of the time, his therapy, like many others at that time, was alcohol. So, and that in itself was causing its own issues. Uh, and one of the things that I like when uh, we were listening to yours, Jason, is because it made me think of 
in certain cultures, like in the voodoo, how the shadows are souls following people around. Mm. And they are, you know, they're always, whether they're good or evil, they are lurking. And so when he opens the door and he sees the raven, because the raven could be the physical embodiment of that uh, angel of death, basically, kind of like what you said at the beginning. Yeah. And so those shadows that are always lurking, whether it be in your own mind, your own doubts, your own fears, your grief, uh, horror, anything, those shadows are always the embodiment of something that you either miss, that you love, that is trying to break you down from the inside out, because it's all about self-doubt and self, you know, self-harm. Um, so, you know, I remember the first time that I had a student that died and it, it made a very big impact on me because my niece, who was a good friend of his, told me after his funeral, you know, she goes, Angie, he thought you didn't like him. So even after his death, I'm still, you know, reeling. But now I have like his shadow following me around thinking that he died and he thought I didn't like him, you know, so that's the other thing. It's like those ghosts of the past, for lack of a better way of saying it. That's one thing Poe does so well. He loves his Poe ghosts. So. Yes. <laughs> As I say, Jeannie bringing up like shadow people, you're going to make me think of Peter Pan with, you know. Right. <laughs> Sorry. That's the first oh thing I thought of. Stitching the, stitch the shadow glad back yeah. on. Yep. Glad I'm yep. not the only one that thought of that. <laughs> yep. Well, I was thinking about the more uh, recent Walt Disney, Tiana with the princess and the frog. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, he uses the shadows because he needs to get the soul type of yes. thing. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is going to sound kind of weird. So I know we, and I agree with the sense that the raven is, is like a symbol of his grief, um, or literally since the raven shows up at his house. But like, I actually learned this in high school. Not that I learned, so I was taught this in high school. So since I know Jeannie and Carmen were high school, did have their time in high school teachers, that the raven could actually also symbolize guilt. That it's there as a reminder that somehow he was responsible for this death of this loved one. So it's kind of like this guilty conscience. And that's kind of why it's still hanging out. Like, hey, you're not going to be mm-hmm. reunited, but you're guilty. So I'm going to stay here and hover because you deserve to be haunted by me. Yeah. That's I, kind of like how we took oh. it in our English class. But I mean, I kind of, when I read it as I was older, I mean, I didn't really get that from that. I'm thinking like, he was like convinced that like he somehow murdered Lenore. Mm-hmm. But I was just kind of thinking it was like kind of that blur between the guilty conscience and he was grieving because he's he has blood on his hands essentially. And there is a lot of imagery of like the afterlife and you know, I mean we know Poe was notorious for murder, but I don't know if anybody else <laughs> kind of got any of those kind of vibes. That well, I don't know how much of that may have been influenced by Gustave Doré's artwork. That's true. The, the interpretation that's true. Exactly. of it, you know, which was you know, 40 mm-hmm. years after the, the writing of the story when he illustrated that. And, and there was mm-hmm. a, a significant amount of that afterlife and skeletal figures and Reaper. angels yeah. and demons and reapers and you name it. Yeah. And some of yeah. that could have shaped, you know, analysis. Yeah. And, and I was going to say, if I was going to say, Holly, that's a really good point to make and thinking about like, you know, he did add, you know, Greek mythology and things like that into some of his works and, you know, class, classical writers do that. You know, I'm very entrenched in Romeo and Juliet with my students right now. So all of this is very fresh <clears throat> in my brain and um, Shakespeare did the same thing. And Poe was not a big fan of Shakespeare, but, um, <laughs> but um, you know, but just like the bust of palace, you know, Athena and wisdom and things like that. And White so, and black. You, yes. And you, you do wonder that and, you know, and kind of Jason, you kind of said something at the beginning with that mythology and it's like the raven is really more entrenched in norse mythology like that's odin's you know representation and so you wonder did poe kind of dabble in all the different kind of mythologies even though he really only incorporated greek into many of his works just the celtic and norse mythology it's a symbol of strength 
Yes. So yes. It, it, you know, so it's a different take on the on the raven and what Absolutely. we typically symbolize it with, you know, the carrion eaters and you mm-hmm. know, bringing death and that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit of a different look. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think if they're kind of like a murder of crows, I think it's a conspiracy of uh, ravens. There's a couple different terms for them, but I think conspiracy is one of them, which kind of would tie into the guilt, Holly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and un, un, unconscious, no, something with the un in it is another way. Yeah, there, there's several different, different ways. Yeah, there's like seven it. different ones. Yeah. But speaking of um, your voice you were doing the raven it is very difficult when you have a voice that you kind of don't like to you know it's your own voice and you're like you listen to it when you're talking but when you hear it on a recording you're like who's that yeah that's not me okay but I do like because you have to play around with the pitch the tone the inflection the mood you have to embody all that, especially if you're just doing it via voice. Yeah. Is why most who do voice acting don't do it very well because they don't have that. Um, but you really brought it out because it was like I could picture that you were actually Poe and speaking mm-hmm. like as if you were reliving it or living it during that time, which is a true art form in itself. Mm-hmm. because yeah. storytelling most of the time is all about building the imagery in the person's mind and most of the time the only thing you have to use is your voice and that inflection and being a teacher that's usually what our biggest tie is, is our voice and getting people engaged especially children who don't want to get in, you know engaged in reading <laughs> yeah. so you have to use what you have and you do it very well is what I'm thinking so yes when you want to also make a poem not sound like you're reading the you know night before christmas or that you're reading it and then move it so you've got to you've got to stay engaged in the in the feeling of the line even when the line wraps it's still part of the line you know and keep it going and the emotional value has to stay there so that was a a challenge for us and we were putting that together Yes. And Micah agreed with everybody on that. And I I definitely agree as well. And um, just kind of talking about my students, um, they had to analyze a dream within a dream. And the other day, last week, and I told them, I said, before you do this, because they were doing this on their own, I said, we're going to read it aloud because poetry, you, if you learn one thing from this class, Poetry is meant to be read aloud. It's not to just, you know, if you're by yourself, read it aloud because you will appreciate it more and you're going to understand it more when you do it the way it's supposed to be presented. And I think some of my students kind of knew this, but a lot of them are kind of like, really? And then they're starting to get it. And it makes me happy because teaching poetry to 14 and 15 year olds is quite challenging. Um, I love it. And, but they, they sometimes despise it, (laughs) but they love Poe. They really do. And they know I love Poe. So. (laughs) But speaking about what you said about the interpretation of the artwork after the fact, you know, 40 years after Poe actually, that in itself comes into play when you look at the other, aspects of writers and the interpretation after the fact because when you were talking you and Carmen everyone we were talking about ghosts and our interpretations of how we read things and see things and feel things Charles Dickens popped in my head because I always had this fight with my students trying to get them to understand that Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas carol as a ghost story right was a ghost story. It's not, you know, Santa's checking his list and making it, you know, all that kind of crap. And that interpretation and the best for the best reenactment, I guess, of that story, other than reading it, is the George C. Scott. 100%. Mm-hmm. Because that interpretation is so spot on as bringing out the ghost aspect of what Charles Dickens truly wanted from that story. And I think that's how some people do wrong by Poe is what I'm getting around to. 
is they they kind of just miss him. They miss, you know, they they apply too much of reading into things uh, literally to the point to where you're losing the story, you know, and you're losing the poet behind the story. And Poe, you know, you can't lose Poe and his work. You just can't. Because if you leave him out, you're leaving out part of the story. I agree with that 100%, Jamie. Absolutely. Yes. And go ahead. No, I'm done. I would say Holly added um, the FX Christmas Carol with Guy Pierce is amazing. If you haven't seen it, holy crap. That Christmas Carol, I can't even watch a different one anymore. I've oh, seen wow. them all. I like binge watch, like be seriously. Oh, you know, I've watched them all. That was like amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. And um, Micah says, uh, yeah, talk about ghosts. It's pretty intense. And then Jason also agreed. So yeah, I'll, that is one I'll definitely have to put on the list. And while we're talking about interpretation, that's mm -hmm. one that, that that was a very different interpretation also. Okay. I mean, the, the, the way okay. that one ended was significantly different. Uh, and I, wow. I think it, I won't say it's good or bad. I mean, it was just different. I mean, you have to take it by itself because it, there's nothing else like it. So okay. it oh, oh, I watched that one. The, yeah. That just dawned on me. I had I'd seen that one and it completely threw me the end. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, no spoilers. Never coming out. <laughs> now who's Guy Pierce again? Somebody's going to have to tell me who Guy Pierce is. Guy Pierce. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. He's, he's a very good actor. Very he's good actor. Aust Australian actor. When yes. you see him, you'll know who he is. You will. Yeah. yeah you're talking to somebody that hasn't had her TV on since 2020. So yeah, yeah. but we make you watch movies. <laughs> yes, they do, and they get mad at me because I don't like things that they like. Because I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit or a lot. He's Jack I'm Irish. If you ask Jack Irish, he that's his like latest, most famous thing. I don't know. Um, no. Okay, sorry. It doesn't ring a bell. Sorry. <laughs> he, he did but a movie. You said he had an Australian accent. Does he use the Australian accent in the movie? Uh, some, not, uh, he has a British accent in the Christmas Carol one. Uh, yeah. But it just kind of depends. He he can lose it or gain, uh, change his accents. He's, He's very pretty versatile. much there for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one thing I hate is when the, like, the Australian actors, the British actors, they always do an American accent, but they do a Southern accent. And it's like, you're, you don't do that. Some of them can pull it off. Some of them cannot do it very well. Well, now, I would like to state for the record that Harry Melling does it beautifully. And as a Virginian, as a Virginian, he <laughs> yes. did it very well. I agree. <laughs> when, yes. when he first in the, I know we're digressing, but we always do yes. in yeah. the movie and Jeannie watched it. We had a, we had like a, a watch party at my house and when he started, I was just, I couldn't wait to hear him speak as Poe and uh -huh. I was just like, I was almost like, you know, I hate to use the term fangirl, but I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he was very charming. Very yes. charming. It, it, it made me gasp. And I went. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, well, and one of our friends, I don't know if Jeannie noticed this. He like looked at me when he first came on the screen to like see my reaction. And I think <laughs> he was happy that I had the reaction I did. But um, and then Micah said, uh, "Who knew Harry Potter's bully would be such a good Poe?" <laughs> that's that's awesome. <laughs> oh, it was well, kind of creepy though. I mean, all all the way through it, we kept saying he needs a mustache. <laughs> yeah, it was just the mustache didn't actually happen until later on in life. I know, yeah, I know, like, but like he, he just, didn't have a mustache for a very long time. Yeah, he just looked too creepy for some odd reason because he looked too much like Poe, in my opinion. It was mm -hmm. the eyes, like, yeah, dude, you're a walking skeleton. Yeah, very <laughs> intense eyes, eyes. and Poe was technically 18 when he was at West Point, so he was very, True. very young. Yes, yeah. very young. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Very skinny, young, naive. Didn't do so well there, you know, Ooh. with the old court martial business, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were reasons for that. <laughs> yes. Well, um, going going back to the Raven, you know, just kind of hearing a lot of these different perspectives, it it makes me kind of like anytime I, I've read this. 
I can't tell you how many times just on my own, but also teaching it. And I've read it to several groups at school, um, young children to, to, you know, like middle school teens and then to high school students. Just um, I dressed up as Poe one day um, when I was an administrator at a different high school. And I went to all the freshman classes and read it. And I had a like this little candle. We turned out the lights. I didn't have a wig at the time. So I just pulled my hair back and I did put on a mustache. And they were like, she's weird. <laughs> I said, yes. And so, but anyway, but I all kind of like what Keith said, I always get something different out of it every time I read it. And, you know, one of the things that I've even looked at is, What's the story before the speaker gets to this point when the raven comes in? And I would love to even to think about what did Poe have in mind in his writing process? And did he think about the end before he began the poem or did he just start writing one day and decide to do this? And so you but you really wonder you know, what, if you could go back and talk to Poe and ask him, what did, what happened to this man? What is the real story? It would be very interesting. And I think everybody would have a different perspective of, you know, like what Holly said, you know, did he murder his wife or, you know, did she just die suddenly? Was it like Virginia and she had tuberculosis or something? And I would love to tell the tale. Yeah. I think it would be, I think it'd be really neat. I know that, you know, that we, I, I, when I had read Raven before, the Raven represented guilt. The one time I read it, it represented death. And then there one, there's now one take on it I got, and I could be totally off base, but this was just me. I felt, I'm like, well, I was reading it this time. I'm like, well, maybe we'll have a happy ending this time. You know how, even though you read it over and over, you think something different's going to happen. Yes. Like watching a movie you see all the time and you want the characters to live. Yes. And I was like, um. Suppose the raven came to relieve him of his guilt. Okay. I mm. thought maybe that was a symbol to take the guilt away. I mean, it just, you know, I was probably in my late 20s then. So something must have happened to get me to read it again. So I can't remember that far back anymore. So it's just. <laughs> We're it's, not that old, Keith. Come on. <laughs> 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 don't, 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 don't make us like, you know, my, 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 my 20s, my 20s were a blur. Um, so <laughs> I think most of our 20s were, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of bartender friends. Um, so, um, I, just, I mean, that was just, that was just my, one of the takes on it I've had. Um, yeah, that that's a that's another unique perspective to think that the raven is taking away his guilt. But all of these are plausible. I mean, they re they really are just based on your own. Like to me, everyone's own experience in kind of thinking, you know, comparing comparatively, metaphorically. I guess mm -hmm. you'd say. I think that's what great poetry does. Yes, uh, it, it, mm -hmm. it inspires something in you that that you relate to, and it doesn't have to be. 100% exact as the interpretation of the writer. It's mm -hmm. the interpretation of the reader. And and that's yes. that's the that's what I love about poetry and this that does the exact same thing. I, I to throw agree. this out from what Keith was saying, how come we keep going back and pulling in different stories at different times? Is it that we're being drawn in because we remember Poe or is it our own life uh, station at the time that is making us identify that story with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily Poe, but it's just that particular story because it could be something else. Like I keep getting drawn most of the time to the Mask of the Red Death, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. during the pandemic. That's the one that just, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it was the moment that. It's like, okay, I've seen this before. Okay. I've seen this somewhere before. It's like being in a classroom. It's like being at the Mask of the Red Death. You know, it's like going from class to class. Oh, which door is this going to be? Okay. Um, but, but the, you know, it's like Jason said, the mark of a true writer, a true storyteller is, uh, imp you know, imprinting onto 
that part of your psyche. So what mm-hmm. would be going on in your life at that moment pulls you back and you see something different because you're experiencing something different. You are in a different frame of mind. You are grown older. You might be sober for the first time in a while. So, you know, <laughs> you know cause if you're in your 20s, yeah, okay. 30, a little over the hump. By the time you get to 40, you're like, what happened? <laughs> so, so you go back and reread things because you want to remember them that you actually read it and you didn't hallucinate it but you know that's true right that right. is, uh, that is very and then we true. won't get to the, the next decade but okay uh Ooh. technically i'm still in my infancy in that area so we're uh, not for long she's got a birthday <laughs> next month so do you so hey don't want to hear it yeah i know but i'm already older than you so exactly (laughs) i like rubbing that in their faces although there's still two in our group who's younger than me and i'm like yeah i don't want to hear it they're still in their 40s for a while yes oh those crazy 40 year olds exactly (laughs) those crazy 40 year olds and why i feel like 30 year olds are like my children oh that's right i'm old enough for them to be my children um Oops, I digress once more. Let's go back now. Yes. Now, see, I want to go read another one of Poe, like the Telltale Heart, because I need to cut my heart out and dig it somewhere. Because- <laughs> oh. Gina, you're in full form tonight. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, in one of those days, I can't help it. The weather, I'm blaming it on the weather. Hey, both the Raven and the Telltale Heart were written in January, just different, you know, a couple years apart. So That's you're right. good either way. That's now I know why. I'm experiencing what Poe did. I can can feel why he wrote those at that time. (laughs) Absolutely. Because I think of it during that time, and that that is very much a high, you know, suicide rate during the holidays, during the cold weather months, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, you know, that could have had some influence on what he was writing and when. Yeah. Yeah, that that hasn't changed. He starts out with a bleak December, right? So there you have it. Yes, there you go. Yes, here's here's some good news to lighten the mood. Um, There's seven weeks until spring. Yay! Okay, I got got that in the email this morning. I went, yes. (laughs) All right, that's that is a actually fantastic news. That is wonderful. Which one of you is the closest to Pennsylvania, so you can take out that groundhog? I'm in Pennsylvania. There you go. So (laughs) I volunteer you. Yeah, exactly. You get to go on February the second. Take him out. Gotta go all the way up there. Exactly. (laughs) Like a four and a half hour drive to go get Phil. Yeah, yep. take Phil out. You can bring him down to Tennessee and we throw him on the, you know, roadside cafe. It'll be fun. Oh, Jamie. <laughs> nah, I'll just, I'll just keep, I'll keep him in my basement and then he won't Ooh. see anything. There you go. There you go. How about that? Yes, let's exactly. keep Jeannie, we're Groundhog, keeping him alive. abduction 101. There we yes. go. Yeah. <laughs> they wall him up like Poe, you know, in Poe style. Wall him up yep. downstairs in the basement. Well, in, in my basement, The cask of Puxatani. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I do have this little space in my basement that's kind of like waiting for me to put doors on it because it's just this like cutout space. Oh, neat. And it goes to nowhere. Mm. Oh, About wow. Four feet by six feet in height, maybe six or seven. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's about four and a half feet wide. It probably goes back about five and a half to six feet, probably. Uh, Hi, there you go. No, enough space for a groundhog that doesn't need to see his shadow ever. Exactly. <laughs> he's a groundhog. He'll be fine. He, he lives underground. That's why he's a ground. You know? Right. I was going to say, we're going to start quoting once upon a midnight Not February dreary. 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> a groundhog come knocking at the door. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh my God, if that groundhog ever comes to my door and knocks. Oh my gosh, Micah, this is brilliant. He just said, said the groundhog four weeks more or six. Oh, dang. Exactly. Yep. Never more, never more, Pakistani Phil. And that is just extending the influence Poe has on everything, just yeah. <laughs> even groundhogs. Yep. Hey, Poe could be the groundhog, you know, because reincarnation. Be a thing. 
Okay, maybe. Because in India, they think you get reincarnated as a cow. So he could have been reincarnated as Paxitani Phil. Um, speaking of oh. Poe, which, which I've discovered recently, I, you know, since the, this um, Pale Blue Eye, you know, this one, and then I got the book like you suggested and hold up last weekend and read it and then did my thing. But I have discovered a whole series of books where he is either a character in it, like a detective or just uh, just a bit part. And the newest one I got in the mail today is called um, Dark Rooms or Two Dark Rooms or something. But this kid, this teenager, finds this room off of his room that was walled up in the secret room. And he finds this journal. And it seems that the murders that start happening in the town all go back to a post story. Like, you tell Joe Hart to, you know, the Dance of the Red mask of red death you you know what i'm saying oh nice. i haven't gotten into it i've gotten enough into it like oh i can't put this down but i had to because i had book club tonight but it right. was just like <laughs> but it was but but each of the murders is based on one of his stories not all of them but the you know like black cat nice well, that is a movie the raven not. with john cusack was kind of like that even though john cusack in my opinion is the worst egg around poe ever he's horrible right. my opinion. Oh, but that was that movie oh. was yeah oh i i'm hurt yeah but, i mean come on he had a van gogh he's supposed to have a mustache you're not playing john cusack you're playing a ground poe shame it and have a mustache dude sorry i couldn't the whole time i'm like yelling why is he wearing a van gogh when he's Edgar Allan poe oh uh, i'm sorry oh, <laughs> I, there, and he's, he's a mouth, the whole time his mouth is open he's like like close your mouth and breathe through your nose like ew <laughs> <laughs> Henry Melling was way better at Girl and Poe. I was like going like this as I'm like, he was a great Poe. Sorry. <laughs> All right. you, you gotta, you just gotta appreciate the Raven for some of what it is. And yes. I'm a huge yeah, the John story was good. Fan, I, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, so I was I, like, I was like, John's playing like my man. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I didn't care. I had high hopes before I watched it because I watched it for the first time recently. I had really high hopes going into it. And then I was just like, I was like, wow, like, yeah. Eh. But the story was kind of like what Keith was saying. It has like, it had like the story was good, even though the acting was not so good. Yeah. But sorry, my opinion. But uh, yeah, I, that'd be. Uh, it's called the door. What was it called, Keith? A room with two doors? Uh, or um, two dark rooms or dark rooms? Oh, hold on for a minute. Let me get it. It's in my stack right here on the floor. Okay, and I was gonna type it into the chat once he brings his uh -huh. book back. Yeah, one one thing I would love to see um, the the book, the play, Pale Blue Eye, is the only book that he wrote a Poe character in. And has it, has everybody seen the movie? So, like, yeah, if I, I say something, yet. okay, no, well, it's very not. much it's very much like the book. But has everybody seen the movie? They know what happens. No, but you can talk about it. That's they fine. Haven't. I don't. Are you? Okay. Sure? I don't want to. I don't want to give anything away. No, but go I, for it. I, I gave you the wrong. I title. would. I would love to see Harry Milling being Poe in other things, like in a series. Yes, yeah. um, but unfortunately, that can't happen from the Lewis Bayard writing the book based on the ending. Um, but it was like, you know, to me, somebody could take well, really, or just have <laughs> Harry Milling just cast him in some Poe movies and things. Sorry, I'm laughing at Micah's comments. Yeah. Oh, when he <laughs> saw it and loved it, Pale Blue Eye 2, Pale Oh, that's great. <laughs> Pale Harder. That is awesome. All right, Keith, what's the name of the book? Okay, I gave you the title of another book. That's, that's okay. The, the book I got today is called Room of Shadows by Ronald Kidd. Room of Shadows by Ronald, is it K-I-D-D? K-I-D-D. Okay. And it's... Um, about a kid, his mother starting over, they move into a dilapidated house, blah, blah, blah. He finds an ancient desk and a carving of a raven beckoning, that beckoned to him. And suddenly violence seems to follow him everywhere. And the terrible events happening around him and the stories of Edgar Allan Poe have a tie together. Has he unleashed a dark force by opening the room or has the room awakened something in David that he doesn't recognize? But what got me was the Edgar Allan Poe mm -hmm. lead into it. And I'm like, oh, I've got to read this. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll be I'll be anxious to hear how it is. Well, it's it's in the stack that I start in the living room, and then we'll can <laughs> I've got another one in the bedroom, and then I got one in the kitchen and one in the dining room. <laughs> I I just I just I you know I I read wherever I land. Sometimes I just pick up something and read it. Oh, absolutely. We've got a library full of books just out here in Virginia with my house back in California. I don't have all my books here with me. Oh, yeah. 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 I downsized when I moved. So I had to, I donated a lot. To, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I'm building it back up quickly. Oh, that's great. I'm addicted to Audible. So I'm saying, Jason, I'm glad you saw that thing. You're available on Audible. Mm-hmm. I'm like addicted <gasps> to that. Once you start, you can't stop. No. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I read I listen to a lot of books on my way to school and on my way home and also listen to podcasts and um mm-hmm. Virginia it was like every day I, I was like listening to all of your episodes you know <laughs> going to school and I was like I can't wait to listen to them it was like you were on on my road Aww. trip every day <laughs> oh my gosh well I was listening to you guys this morning too so oh, great. great 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 <laughs> yes I'm sorry and we managed, I will say this, we managed to not spoil the movie, our new episode. Oh, good. <laughs> At okay. the end I'm of a- recording, we were like, oh my God, we did not spoil that. How did we do that? We oh, that's like, awesome. I have no idea. Yeah. So, so it is spoiler free. Oh, that is awesome. Nice. Well, well Which done. Which podcast does Virginia do if I missed it? Um, uh, that's okay. Um, we have a podcast called Beyond the Oblong Box. Ah, okay, okay, that okay. Now it hit me. Yeah, well, Virginia, Ribble. did you see that uh, one of our audio dramas is uh, manuscript found in a bottle? Oh, yeah, that was that was one of the ones that he wrote prior to the oblong box. Yes, you know, as as one of the, the precursors to that story. So yeah, it was that was awesome. I really enjoyed doing that one. Off to Audible. <laughs> No, that one's not an audible. I, oh, I've got that audible? one on. It's on my YouTube channel, and it's just it's out the entire you know full audio dramas there. Same thing with the Raven. Okay. It's on my YouTube channel as well. Okay, uh, Marky Witt's Audio Works presents on YouTube. Okay, yeah, and uh, okay. manuscript found in the bottle. I have not listened to yet, but I'm anxious to do that because that's. Uh, I say, hey, kitty. What what is your kitty's name? This is Elliot. He he does like to cry. He's the one that likes to crash the party the most when, yes. when Levi and I are recording. Yes. So he's no a different. He knows it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna say because that's the uh, story that Poe won the Saturday Visitor Award. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I have a. It's it's awesome to. You know, I have the maybe a minute and a half or so of an intro prior to the story beginning, and I kind of go over, you know, why the story <laughs> was done and um, you know the results of his contest. Oh, very neat. Very neat. Very cool. Well, I was going to say, we are, yeah, thank you, Jason, for posting yep. that on the Yay, comments thank you, Jason. to check him out. And um, I've listened to part of the Cask of Amontillado as mm-hmm. well, and it's phenomenal. I mean, all, Jason, honestly, all your work is really so much good. Fun. I thank bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, A bunch of theater actors getting together to do audio dramas. You know, there you have it. You know, it's fun. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're nearing the end of our time. We usually go uh, hour-ish, you know, roughly. And so, and we usually digress like we do, and that's what's so fun. But we, we keep the essence of Poe alive, you know, throughout all of our conversations and our love of Poe. And so, um, Jason, if you, will you just share out the list of productions that you've done on Poe? I mean, I know you've kind of woven them in throughout, Mm -hmm. but just so everybody can kind of know to what to look forward to. Sure. So we started with a a requirement, you know, quote unquote, to get a body of work. And Mm -hmm. the body of work we started with were short stories from Edgar Allan Poe. So our first one was The Raven. Then we moved to The Cask of Amontillado. And that one actually was a, an audio theater central Seneca award nominee last year. So it was, it it did very very well as a a people's choice award nominee for the top five uh, in that award cycle. So it was, we're pretty proud of that. 
Then we had a manuscript found in a bottle, which I did individually with Hayden's music as well. But uh, that was awesome because I played all the different roles myself, uh, wow. spliced them in, background effects, the old captain, the Swedish guy. I actually had to learn Swedish to say some things in Swedish during that story, you oh, know, but uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And it was Hayden's first musical work with anything nautical. And so it really took a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth to try to figure out what kind of a of a vibe do we want from the the sea story for that one. It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've all, we just released the telltale heart on Halloween this last year. And, uh, that just got reviewed by Broadway Sacramento. And that was a real nice review, uh, that came out there for that one. Uh, and then we are currently uh, finished recording and it is in production now for mask of the red death. And then once we get those five done, then that'll be the conclusion of our, our five that we were going to do as our post series, we'll put it all together in, um, in a compilation that, uh, we're going to plan to have out next year. Uh, and we've got a few titles going around right now, but uh, the one we've kind of settled on is Death Upon a Midnight Dreary. And that's going to be the, the compilation of those five stories. And that'll be out next year. That sounds amazing. Very awesome. Very cool. And what is it you're going to do after <clears throat> the other night on Thursday? You have some kind of idea that you're going to delve into what next? Well, it is, uh, you know, audio drama creation and production is just a passion project. You know, it's something we love to do. Um, it's not about financial gains. It's about producing, uh, uh, hopefully a very good product and that everyone can enjoy. Um, we're going to, we did two Christmas productions, uh, this last year with, uh, uh, three Christmas trees and then a visit from St. Nicholas, otherwise known as Twizzle night before Christmas. We did those two. And then now we're looking at a longer project and we've always talked about, the treasure Island being our first long project. And that's most likely what we're going to go to, but it's about writing it a little bit differently. Cause one of the things I tried very diligently to do over the course of all of our works is present something different in each of the stories, either new characters, new dialogue, new formatting, some, some way to make it to where, okay, here we go. Iteration 4,000 of the Raven. Well, I want it to be something different that's uniquely ours. And so I want treasure Island to be the same way if we do that. And it'll take a little bit of a, time writing the script, but it's going to be something that has a, a unique angle built into it that we're working on. Wow. That, that sounds awesome coming up. Yeah. And more sound effects. It's always been my favorite. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I actually have a 19, I think it's a 1902 copy of Treasure Island mm-hmm. that I did an old yard sale one time. It's wow. not the greatest condition, but it's like when you can find those in that shape and whoever had it, they'd wrote things on the, you know, how people make notes oh, yeah. inside. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's amazing to find those kinds of treasures in Treasure Island. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I'm starting I was to do say, this. So. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, it, you can definitely end that with Poe is a treasure forevermore. And no. <laughs> just had to link that together. But, I'm not the uh, only fun one here. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I can I can pun it up when I'm not too tired. No puns, <laughs> love it. But, um, so That's we always uh, we always end, you know, kind of the evening with uh, what we're going to do next month and kind of give you a date. So February 28th will be our next Poe Unplugged. And we hope everybody can join us again. Um, we always try to do it around the last Tuesday of the month. And we are going to look into the Mask of the Red Death. So one of my favorite there's, Love it. Yes, Excellent. there's so many elements you can talk about with that story and um, even talk about like if we may uh, probably when we advertise it on the website and on Facebook and Twitter, we'll probably suggest just for some, you know, the fun aspect of it, just to get the, those colors that come alive is watching Vincent Price, the Roger Corwin movie. Oh, my gosh. So, yes. movie, yes. so. Crazy. Yes. Yeah, I got a copy of it. Yes. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I was going to say, I think, hold on. I think Micah had responded with, uh, let's see. Hold on. I thought it saw it. Oh, no. Crystal, love the 3D like effects during the audio made you feel like you were there. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I've been like, waiting. I've been waiting the whole time to say this because my sister can vouch for this. I love having books read to me and listening uh-huh. to old school audio. Remember the VHS tapes and all that stuff and little cassette tapes. There yes. was no like background music to it, so I kind of like made my own thing. I'm like, oh, it's like 3D now. So I just had to say that, Jason. It was cool that as you were going, all that 3D stuff was happening in the background. It kind of almost gave you a visual, like you were watching a movie. So it was really cool. Neat. All, yeah, and, and uh, in fact, that's our tagline: is a theater in your mind. So as long oh, as it's that. Uh, built that love way, that. that's uh, the way we want it to come across. Very cool. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we thank everybody for joining us, and we love having everybody on here. It's just amazing. And Jason, thank you so much for um, coming on with our you know first Facebook Live event last week. He was our Gothic mm-hmm. guest in our newsletter, and as well as tonight. Um, you've added a whole lot to this month, and we appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me and having me. Thanks, everyone. Nice to meet everybody. All right. Yeah, thanks, David. Right. So everyone, have a great evening, and we thank you so much. Night. Bye, y'all. Bye. See you next bye-bye. month. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. 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 bye-bye.